0: Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Why I Knit podcast. My name is Dr Mia Hobbs and I'm a clinical psychologist who's passionate about knitting and its benefits for our mental health. Each week on the podcast I interview a different knitter about why they knit and how it benefits their mental health. This week on the podcast I'm delighted to be joined by Carol Caparosa. Carol is the founder of Project Knit Well. Project Knit Well is a non-profit organisation who use knitting as a wellness tool. They go out to hospitals and community settings and meet people who are facing a stressful time in their life and introduce them to knitting. So hello, Carol. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Mia, for inviting me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for coming on. Um, so I always start with asking um, where your story with knitting began. So where did you all start?
1: Um, I learned to knit from my mother when I was about 10 years old, which is um, almost 60 years ago. And so that's been a, I've been a knitter for a long time, although I really had starts and stops. I remember when she first taught me, um, I think I just made things like long scarves or headbands, um, things like that. I probably also, given some of my history in knitting... I probably didn't always finish things. I, I knit a lot for the process. Um, and then in my generation, macrame came in and I remember making plant hangers and belts and things like that of macrame. So even though I learned at 10, I, um, I, I don't remember knitting much in high school. I do remember knitting in college and knitting um, soon after I got out of college and was first working. But again, during from 10 years old till about, late thirties, I stopped and started a lot, but I would say from my thirties, late thirties on, after I had my daughter, um, I knit, I would say almost every day, if not, but I always have something on the needles. Mm -hmm. Um, so I want to say too, that my mother, although she taught me how to knit, she wasn't a huge knitter. She had, um, six, I'm one of six. Um, and we have four daughter, four girls and two boys who were twins. And when the twins were born, the oldest daughter was five. So my mother had six children in five years. So she was not, um, knitting that often. She was busy. (laughs) She was very busy, (laughs) but it's nice. I still have a scarf that, um, she knit that was after she passed away. I found that it was still on her needles. Uh So I have that, which is, which I really am glad I have.
0: Yeah, did you yeah. did you finish it or is it still on the needles? Or it, well, I didn't
1: finish it um, because I don't have. There was no more yarn. I got. I think she must have run up, run, run out of yarn. Herself, oh, okay, and that's why it was still on the needles. But but I but I still have it. Yeah, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So
0: it sounds like I think that's a common story to learn as a child and then have kind of on off phases. But it sounds like you took to it quite well. Like you knitted a whole scarf, you know, as a child yeah 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 and what do you think it was about knitting that you kept coming back to um i think
1: it was um i do find it calming i do find when you're repeating the same patterns i I find it relaxing and calming i also find it uh i i feel productive i have a very hard time now um when I watch TV in the evening, if I do, or if say I'm on a Zoom recording like this with friends, I ha- really have to be having something in my hands, primarily knitting. And I, I don't know if that's a feeling that I'm, I'm not being productive while I'm just sitting there but I, I really can't um, watch TV without knitting. So, and if I don't have something or I'm stuck on a project I'll literally just start something new or, or just, yeah, I'll find something to start new, a pair of socks or something like that just so that I can be doing something. So I think there's an element of um, I've been doing it for so long every night that that's just, it would be very odd to not do it. Um, So I think the idea that I'm being productive is part of it. Yeah. Yeah. and and I do like the repetition of it. I like that I can see my progress, which is also speaks to productivity, I think. Um, and then I love the sense of accomplishment when I when I finish something. I, I have some trouble with finishing. <laughs> I should take a class on um more than one class on finishing more than one um, class. <laughs> button bat bands and things. I, I I have three sweaters, baby sweaters sitting in front of me they're all finished except for the button band down on each side. And so I, um, I'm actually, I'm going to a yarn store later this weekend for, for some help on that. So even though I've been knitting for a very long time, there are still things that, um, I struggle with and, uh, I don't at all consider myself an advanced knitter. All of the things that people do today, brioche and Oh, boy! And Tarsia, all those things i I have never done. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think now that I'm more retired, I would really like to um, try new things and, and that 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 speaks again, I think, to the whole sense of accomplishment. And mm-hmm. what I love about knitting is there is no finish line. You are always um, there is always something you can learn or get mm-hmm. better at. so um, and I love that you can. Choose like I usually have more than one project going at a, at a time. It might be something I have to pay more attention to, and then something that's just straight stockinette that you know you can do with your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that, and I love the portability of it that you can take it on almost anywhere. And I usually do if I know that I'm going to be at an appointment and I'm probably going to have to wait, then I will. I'll I'll bring it in a little plastic bag or a knitting bag. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, so I think those are the main, the main things Mm -hmm. that I love about knitting. I love too, the color and the feel of yarns. Um, You know, I like to visit yarn stores if I'm traveling and Mm -hmm. um, touch the yarn and um, I think it's very beautiful. The
0: colors, the yarns they make today are just gorgeous. Does it matter what type of product? So you said you like to have something that you have to concentrate on a bit and then something a bit easier. Um, are there particular things you like to knit we have knitted over time yeah. that you particularly enjoy? Well, early on,
1: uh, after I had my daughter, I made a lot of baby uh, sweaters for her. And now that she has a daughter, I'm making sweaters for my granddaughter also some of the daughter, some of the sweaters I had made for my daughter, I was able to pass down to my granddaughter, which was really nice. I get those. Yeah. And then early in those days, I made a lot of sweaters for myself, but it's funny. I I remember wearing one a lot, but many of the others I made didn't quite, um, I wasn't happy with them when I was finished with them. So Mm. I I only wore them occasionally. So I haven't made a sweater for myself in a while, but that is a project that I've just been swatching. So I'm going to um, start making a sweater for myself. Mm -hmm. I've also made a lot of different baby blankets um, and then socks. I I struggled for a long time with the whole double pointed needles. Um, And I finally... uh, I uh, got that several years ago and made socks. And to me, giving someone a, hand, a pair of hand knit socks, in my mind, is just a beautiful gift. So I've given a lot of um, socks to people and, and, and then I kind of got out of making those. And then just recently I saw in my stash that I had so much sock yarn. So I've started to make, I have a pair on the needles now that I'm making, making for myself.
0: They're quite good um, as a take around with you project as well. Aren't yeah. they? they fit easily in a bag. And
1: yeah, they're perfect for like uh, fly. If you're on an airplane, mm. they're perfect because they're they're small. Um, but I knit my son was a baseball player and all through, you know, little league through high school. And I always knit on the stands. And so mm-hmm. it, it was usually very hot. So that, that was when you would take something light, like, yeah pair of socks or a small baby sweater not a you, know, you don't want to sit under sweater. a big
0: baby no. blanket yeah <laughs> no yeah sweat. yeah 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 okay and you mentioned so. finding it calming are there other ways that you think it benefits your kind of mental well-being um
1: other ways well i, I it, it does relax me it's mm. um like and i i think um, if i'm like sometimes i'll do it first thing in the morning morning almost as a centering for mm-hmm. myself but mostly it's pretty much later in the day um it just i, I don't know it's a the, again i think it's the repeating of the pattern just um kind of calms you down and from people i've taught through project knit well literally i can see their shoulders like when they're first learning their shoulders are up they're so intense their fingers are gripping the needles, and as they get into the flow of the rhythm, everything starts to slow down. I mean their, their shoulders go down, their hands are more relaxed, their face isn't as creased, mm. and you can physically see it in them that they mm. that they're um, more relaxed. yeah um, yeah, I think too I, I find myself thinking about other things when i'm when I'm on a project that's completely like I said, stocking that where yeah. you don't, that I'll just be thinking about, I don't know, ideas I have or things I want to do or things in my life. And mm. so it kind of frees and, and not, I'm not thinking about it as intently. It's just kind of things that just come to me. So
0: mm. I think uh, I find that as well, that it almost feels to me like, which is a silly way of thinking about it, I think, but like it opens a different trapdoor in my mind and different mm-hmm. ideas come out. Cause I'm not kind of consciously, Thinking or trying to, I guess, as a psychologist, a lot of my days spent in conversation with people or kind of actively problem solving or using my brain for my work. Whereas I feel like knitting, my hands are busy working, but my brain is allowed to rest. And then sometimes I get the ideas that I wasn't looking for. (laughs) Right. They arrive.
1: (laughs) No, it's true. And like, there's a lot of research out now about the connection between your hands and your brain. Mm. So, So, and your brain. So. I feel like it it does happen when you're working with your hands. Mm. Um, Yeah. I don't know. We have our hands for a reason. So it's why not use them? Yeah. And I think actually if you think
0: about modern life, like we don't spend so much time doing manual labor as we would have done like a hundred years ago doing laundry, or we've got machines to wash dishes and do lots of things, chop vegetables. Yeah. I think there is a, uh, probably we just spend a lot less time doing things with our hands than we used to. (laughs) Right. Right.
1: And I think like my daughter, some of her friends are having children now and I mostly make them a a baby sweater. Mm. Um, And to me, I just think it's, I could go out and buy a baby sweater. Sure. And, and, but to me, it's the, is the time, the effort, the feel of course you're thinking about the person when you're making it for them and I so appreciated when my daughter was born getting a hand knit sweater and maybe because I I was a knitter and I I knew but I think most people do appreciate especially Mm. if obviously if it's well made appreciate something that's been made by someone's
0: hands Mm. but I think sometimes even it doesn't have to be that well made like I made a few um in my last place of work um, in the health service, I had a few. We had a colleague who was having twin babies, and lots of people approached me and said, Oh, I'd like to make something for this baby. Can you help me? Because you're a knitter. And I thought, actually, it's quite challenging as a not really knitter to make a cardigan or a sweater yeah. if you don't really knit. And also, these babies don't need hundreds of newborn sweaters. But so I coordinated lots of people to knit squares and I crocheted them together, and they had two kind of rainbow blankets and actually there were some people there who were they were not coerced into doing it but they weren't natural knitters they weren't going to carry on um and in a way it was even more meaningful that just all these people had put in this time and effort to yeah uh contributing to something even though it wasn't the most beautiful Beautiful. well-made square
1: yeah yeah i agree there's a lot of examples from women that i worked with in the NICU who um first start out making a a baby hat. And um, some of them would want to correct the mistakes, others, just not at all. They loved how it looked, even Mm -hmm. if there were some holes in it, um, crooked, you know, all kinds of different things. But to them, it was beautiful and their child um, was able to wear it. And I I agree with you. I think that's, plus over time, you know, it will change if they stick with it. But but I agree to them it was it was the sense of accomplishment that they finished something that their child could wear. And for some of these mothers, I worked with one mom I remember who uh, the baby was so fragile that she was not able to hold her daughter for three weeks, but she was able to knit a hat and see the daughter in the hat, which was uh, very meaningful as a new mother who had very was not able to do um care care so much for her daughter at that time so um i i saw that over and over with the nicu mothers especially mm. and many are there's so much stress in a nicu and so much up and down in a roller coaster type life that many after they finish like usually pick the hat first and then if they we offer if they would like to learn pearl, cuz this is just a hat done with stockinette yeah sew up the seams and many of them um, are not interested in learning pearl they they want to stick with what they learned and i think they saw that they got the benefits of um being less stressful because they're so concentrating on it some will go on to learn more advanced but many many are very happy just making another hat for another Mm, baby
0: yeah Yeah. i noticed actually in covid lots of people it was like a a knitted hug <laughs> like for yeah. doing that knitting something for someone you can't physically be near right um, in the similar way I guess to the mothers in the NICU being able to give their baby kind of a hug in a knitted item when they yes. can't hold them.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. I'd love to hear about Project Knit well and how it all started.
1: Yeah. Well it's it started in um l- legally became a nonprofit in 2010. So we're mm-hmm. 12 years and Um, But the seed for it really started back in 1990, which I I didn't know that at the time. But yeah, my daughter was born um, 1990 and uh, she was my first. I have two children. She was my first. And she uh, came home after a few days and everything we thought was fine. But then on her seventh day, I noticed that something, um, her breathing seemed a little bit off. So I took her to the pediatrician. And within a few minutes, they were running her through the hallway, down the steps, across the hall, and luckily there was a hospital right next to their office. And um, they weren't exactly sure what it was, but she was in shock, kidney failure, her heart was enlarged, et cetera. So they stabilized her and then transferred her to Georgetown Hospital in Washington, D.C. And At that point, the doctor came in and his first words were, if she makes it through the night, her first surgery will be. And then he had a picture of a normal heart and a picture of her heart. And he showed me four different defects. So, you know, we made it through the night and she made it through the surgery and she's made it through multiple surgeries um, her first five years of life. So while I was at the hospital, and I pretty much never left the hospital, she was there the first time for about six weeks and had um, a couple of surgeries then, including open heart surgery. And she was, you know, so tiny. She had open heart surgery at 21 days. She was like five pounds. And so um, my husband would bring in um, the mail, and in the mail, it was my sister in law's mother who made a tiny baby sweater. I actually brought it just for you to see. I still have it. You can see it has some holes in it, but I I opened it and I just, I knew what it took to make this. Mm. And I just, to me, this was the most meaningful um, gift. And while I was with her, I mean, I really didn't do, I couldn't read, I couldn't Mm. um, watch TV I, I just pretty much worried and paced. And, and I thought all of the clocks in Georgetown, I thought something was wrong with them because every, I thought they were broken because every time I would look up, it would only be like five minutes. And I thought like an hour had gone by. Mm. And she had these really long surgeries, like 12 hours. And this is pre-cell phone, pre-internet. We weren't getting updates regularly. I mean, now you go into the hospital and you get a beeper and they let you know when your loved one's out of the surgery or updates none of, none of that was happening at, sure. back in 1990 anyway a bell went off in my head and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna next time I go home I'm once a knitter you always have a little stash even though I wasn't knitting that much so I brought back some yarn and needles
0: had you been knitting before she was born um, for her? N- or not probably really?
1: some but not a lot but probably some um And, and so I just knit, literally knit my way through the rest of her hospital stays. And still to this day, a few years ago, she had another procedure. I can come to the hospital with books, music, Sudoku puzzles, all kinds of things. And the only thing I can do is knit and listen listen to music. So now if she has more procedures, I will just bring my yarn and and music because that's all I can do. So what happened then fast forward 15 years, I went back to Georgetown to that same unit to volunteer because she had such good care there. And I told the child life specialist who work with the patients and families that I would be happy to teach the moms. I said, just the moms how to knit. And I remember my first group, there were four moms and Some of them, it was like the first time they came out of their room to to knit. They were just, you know, so focused and stressed and worried about their child, which I could completely identify with. Mm. But they came to the knitting circle and we knit and, and people helped each other. And I just could see, it just, I could just see what it was doing physically, as I mentioned earlier, that, you know, you just see them calm down, you see them relax, you see them smile, you see them talking to each other. And then later the child life specialists would tell me they would visit with each other, like the friendships developed, a community developed. So, so we um, then expanded it to working with the patients. So you could, do, we'd do it right at the bedside. Sometimes mm-hmm. they would come as a group, but usually it was at the bedside. Um, and then expanded to different units throughout the hospital. And then my sister, one of my sisters said, you know, you have a good idea here. You should turn this into a nonprofit. And I thought, Hmm. Maybe, maybe I do. So anyway, I did. And it just took off from there to different departments and then different hospitals. Now we're in hospitals and um, many community sites, which you know serve people who have a stressful situation in their life, such as mm. homelessness or recently incarcerated. Um, so Project well teaches people who are in a stressful situation. We seek out where you would find people in a stressful situation and go there. And so the, the, you know, we have a method to the way we teach knitting. We also have suggested patterns to start Mm -hmm. with. They're all very, very simple. Because I find, even though we can talk a lot about how, you know, it reduces stress and reduces calmness and all this, I think the opposite when you're learning to knit. Yes. (laughs) For many people, it is so stressful to learn. It's awkward. You got these two sticks, you, you know, it's four steps. It's if you're doing it the English style. And so, so our mission is to simplify all that so that they can get past that point of stress and and then see the benefits, but there's a Mm -hmm. learning curve there. Yeah. And then of course um, there's no, you have to learn to pearl, or you, we just take it where the person is. So if someone just wants to make baby hats for the four months that they're in the NICU, that's fine. Um, but if I've, I've also worked with mothers who, wow, I I had to bring in someone to help them because they were like, got, got more advanced than I was. They were making mm. socks, sweaters, all kinds of things. So, you know, we, we have that too, but our, our mission really is to um, keep things simple at the, certainly at the beginning Mm. and to um, make it easy for them to learn it in the least stressful way possible.
0: Mm. I found that, that there is a bit of a hump, isn't there, to get over the bit that where it is a bit annoying and it's a bit tight and, you know, Um, I was in a knitting group this morning actually and there was one of the young people who was just having a stressful day and everything she was trying with her knitting was just annoying her so she I just gave her the took the basket of yarn and she started sorting out the little all the little balls of different colored yarn she was just winding it and that seemed to be more the fitting task for that moment. Um, Yeah, because you could,
1: she could get to the point where that's it I'm not doing it anymore. Yeah, And, and that's what you want to try to avoid. Yeah. And, and then it's interesting too in working with a lot of the healthcare workers nurses in particular what I found was that um, they're um, m- many of the ones I work with are perfectionist so any okay. any any little um, something that was a little looser than the stitch before they would want to you know take out the whole thing and so we talk a lot about you know mistakes in knitting and that you know, it can be a design element, it can be all kinds of things in that mm-hmm. it's not intended to look like a machine made uh, piece. Yeah. And, and then I often tell a story of, you know, in some cultures like the Native American culture, um, our artisans on purpose put a mistake in a handcrafted item mm-hmm. to show homage to the fact that they, they are not perfect. Mm-hmm. and um you know it might not be obvious mistake but there is a mistake in there that they regularly do as part of their work mm. so I think that help has helped some of the healthcare workers loosen up I mean we're glad they're perfectionists obviously in their work but yeah but we know that you there's no such thing as being perfect
0: yeah and yeah. I guess it's part of the I think that's something that's helped me generally in life, actually, that probably I did have a tendency towards perfectionism, but have got better at managing that probably through practicing so much in knitting with making mistakes. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I used to,
1: (laughs) years ago when I was knitting, I would, I ripped out many things and started over. Now that would be very rare that I would ever knit out. I mean, pull out the whole thing Mm. I might pull out a few rows or I might say oh it looks okay or it's going to be on the back of the baby they're going to be looking at the baby's face like only I'm really noticing it so Mm. I've yeah I have definitely loosened up on that I think as Mm. a result of knitting more
0: I think I've loosened up maybe in a different way. Like, I'm happy to rip something out. Like, I've just unraveled a whole colourwork sweater.
1: Oh, <laughs> it wow. It wasn't because
0: of a mis... Well, I mean, it was a gauge issue because I had all over colourwork. The floats were too tight. So it wasn't fitting the way I wanted it to. But in a way, I felt like, well what I wanted this sweater for was partly because I want this color work sweater, but mostly because (laughs) I love the process of knitting color work. And I've already got that. Like (laughs) if I rip it out and knit it twice, it's twice the amount of therapy for me in a way. Like I don't see it as a failure. I think I'm not unraveling it because it's wrong. I'm unraveling it because I want it to fit in a certain way and it doesn't like injure me (laughs) psychologically. Well, (laughs) well, and that totally makes sense. Makes sense Which I don't to me. think is perfectionism in a way. I feel like it's because I didn't feel annoyed or that I was doing it for anyone else or for it to be perfect or to, I think I was. Yeah, no, I, I felt a peaceful decision. <laughs> yeah, I
1: understand that because the end goal is that you want to wear it. So if you're knitting something that you know you can't wear, then it's yeah doesn't and make And I sense. want to wear
0: it and love it for like a decade. Right, right. Yeah. Right. Rather than feel slightly. Mm, it doesn't quite fit over this top I want to wear because realistically it's a Christmas jumper and it's cold. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Looking at what.
1: Why are we redoing it? Is it is it a perfectionism or is yeah. it because it doesn't fit, which makes perfect sense. That's why you're making it. Um, or, you know, there's yarn I've worked with that I have not liked, you know, like mohair i mean it'll be all over you when you're making it or just yeah something that i didn't think would be as scratchy and it is and so i sometimes i think i don't uh, i don't know that i'm gonna like wearing this that's why i often like feel things around my neck or face if i'm buying yarn not just with my hands because you're going to be wearing it yeah yeah.
0: And I'd love to hear about some of the I don't know, feedback or stories you've had as a process of Project Knit Well, what it has meant to people that you've talked to knit.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's I think for many people, it's meant a lot and some have become lifelong knitters. Mm. We have one woman who I met uh, in the NICU. Her son was there for five months. And she has become uh, a daily knitter and a pretty advanced knitter. She's also a member of our board. So it it has uh, brought her tremendous satisfaction. She doesn't go anywhere, I think, without her knitting bag. Mm-hmm. And um, she was, um, when I first met her, she explained that she was a type A. She was a lawyer in D.C. and she was not crafty. And she probably never was going to learn this. That's how she introduced herself. <laughs> I mean, after this. You know, social worker had referred her to me. And um, I don't know, she just took to it pretty much immediately. Mm. And and then I had a little boy. I remember he was um 14. He was at Georgetown, he was having a transplant. He lived in Louisiana, but he was up in Georgetown having this. He was his name was Darren, he was about fifth, no, 12, I think around the time. Mm. And I went in to see if his mother might want to learn to knit. And the mother was not in the room. So I told him who I was and I was, well, why I was in there and that I would be back. And he said, well, mm-hmm. I, w- I want to learn how to knit. I mm-hmm. said, he was one of the first boys that I taught. Mm-hmm. So um, I taught him. And oh, my gosh, he really took off. He at one point was um, making iPod, uh, no, iPhone cases. Oh, yeah. No, no. He was making scarves, some with fringe, some without, because he was saving up money to buy an iPod. I think that was it. And so he was kind of selling them out of his room.
0: Okay. Wow. Very enterprising. (laughs) Yeah. He was very
1: enterprising, but I think somehow they ended up shutting that down for some reason, But, um, (laughs) but he, and then I would get emails from him that would say like, Miss Carol, when are you coming back? I want to learn, you know, I've learned this, but now I want to learn scarves and socks. And he was just gung ho. And then his mother told me that it did make a huge difference, but he didn't knit much once he got back Hmm. and was um, feeling better. So that's the other thing. I've met a lot of, I've knit with people who have told me they used it when they were in the hospital with their child. Under a lot of stress, that's their go-to. But when they're in their normal daily life, when things are going well, they weren't. You, they were not. Yeah,
0: and that's probably fine. Like, yeah, if your goal was to help someone bear the unbearable moments of their life, they don't need to necessarily carry on, do they? In order for it to have been a huge success, like if it helped that waiting or the hospital time feel slightly better than it had been otherwise then that's exactly an amazing gift to give them isn't it
1: that's exactly right and we're not um two things I want to say for for some people we may only see them once Mm. and because maybe then when we come back they've been discharged or you know are not feeling well that day or the doctors in the room or whatever it is but I have had people thank me just for that one day thank Mm. you for um bringing this to me today I really needed it today so you're exactly right we're we're not in the business of making people be you know lifelong knitters we're in the business of helping them at the time they need it with a with a a wellness tool
0: I'm interested to know what you say to people whether you have like a little sales pitch of knitting or as a wellness tool like whether you to to kind of hook people in or to kind of what you say when you're kind of introducing the idea? Cause I guess a lot of people are, I don't know, have not heard of the idea of knitting as a wellness tool necessarily before you approach them in a hospital or somewhere. Yeah.
1: Um, Well, one thing I have learned is um, talking less is usually better when you're teaching someone how to knit, but as far as, uh, because I think when I first started, I talked a whole lot and was giving them, tons of information about knitting and why it's good for you, and then I would look over and they were so intent on learning and I was realizing that it is just going in one ear and out the other and so mm. I kind of wait to establish uh, more of a relationship or or see when they've really started to relax more than to talk a little bit about it but we introduce ourselves like just knock on the say if it's a hospital setting, knock on the door and we're a volunteer for that hospital and then I say i'm with a nonprofit called you know we teach knitting as we do say it's as a wellness tool uh would you like to learn I, I usually have um I'm usually wearing something mm. that they um would be able to knit um and then I I, I would have a bag with me that they, they'd be able to see the yarn that's in there and most I would say most people not everyone but most people are willing to um try it and then you know, you sit right next to them and we have a certain way that we teach it. We demonstrate first and then have them do it and, um, and just keep working with it. And then I would start to talk about why knitting is a wellness tool and, um, what the, some of the research says, or, um, sometimes I'll talk about mistakes, um, it depends, and some of them will ask a lot of questions. Some people really want to know how it all, how you make that, how it all works. They want you to really break it down. Um, but and then other people, especially like preteens, have said, "Wow, I never knew this would be so much fun," or um, mm. "I thought this was just for girls," you know, things like that. People say, mm. um, "Yeah," or a lot of people say, "I never, uh, I can't learn this. I've tried before. I, can't. I say, Well, if you want to just give it another try. Cause usually they're not doing very much in a hospital. You're sitting in a hospital mm. bed. There's um, not a lot going on. So, yeah. so I think most people will at least give it a try and it doesn't have to be the patient it can be a family member. It can be anyone that's just in the room right there. I've taught a lot of um, child and parent together. Yeah. And, and that's been nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then we find too, that the more nurses we've taught, that that usually yields more referrals for patients because Mm. the nurses then now see the benefit. Yeah, had a lot of nurses in the NICU. Um, and then on an oncology floor, we taught, they were doing a research study to see if knitting would be a good intervention to reduce compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, they did this at Georgetown, um, several years ago, but project knit well was a part of teaching the nurses mm-hmm. and they found that that it was that the mm. nurses who participate in it um did reduce their compassion fatigue scale mm. uh, scores on a scale and we they also made squares that then were crocheted into blankets and framed and put on and put on the walls so it was a fun uh, project for them and a, a good research study for the two nurses that did it that yeah
0: sounds amazing are you I'd love to ask you about a significant knitting project for you, Carol. It could be significant in any way at all.
1: <laughs> um, well, as I said, you know, I'm not uh, an advanced knitter. Um, I think what was significant for me was learning how to make a pair of socks. Mm. Um, and because again, it was the, the challenge of the double pointed needles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh you're doing a lot of different things. What I like about sock knitting though is when you get kind of tired of one part, you're on to another part. Mm. And then you get a little tired of that, then you're on to another part, and then before you know it, you're at the toe. And, yeah. I, and I usually do one at a time. So um mm-hmm. I haven't done the two together. So for me, that was um that was big on a lot of levels because one that I learned how to do the double points, I learned all the different sections that you make on a sock in the kitchener stitch of course at the mm-hmm. end which generally I have to look up each time but um yeah, yeah. so um yeah and and uh,
0: so I I would say that I think mm. so it sounds like it was a sense of achievement yeah mastering those different parts for and, sure yeah I remember the first time I turned a heel actually yeah and it was quite late like in the evening and I ended up staying up really late just because I was like I'm following the instructions I don't actually know how this is going to go this turns kind of 3d yeah yeah <laughs> I know it's quite exciting I know and then it
1: does and it's yeah it's, yeah and then give I think the first pair I gave to my son and I made them with worsted weight so it went fairly okay. quickly yeah and and he wore it, he loved them. He he was working mm-hmm. outdoors at the time and he wore them all the time. Mm-hmm. And um and I love too how a lot of soft yarn, you know, makes its own pattern. Mm. So it looks much more complicated. And yeah. <laughs> it, it looks like I did these patterns. Some people think that. But um so so I think that generally I've just been on this role lately to make baby sweaters, but again, I I am going to start this sweater for myself but
0: Hmm.
1: um which will will challenge me in in whether it fits or not um
0: yeah that's always the thing with sweaters isn't it (laughs) yeah 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 um carol i always end with asking what's the greatest gift that knitting has given you for the rest of your life um i think I think it's being able
1: to work with my hands and, and to create something from literally a piece of string almost to create something that then can be given to someone and um, that they will have for a very long time. I think there's a, like a legacy part to knitting too that, you know, the fact that I could gift the sweaters I made to my daughter, to my granddaughter. Yeah. And then I hope the new sweaters that I've made can maybe at some point be handed down. And it's just, it's nice to have, and I know people that have like blankets on their beds that were made by their grandmothers or great grandmothers Mm. that have just been passed down. So I, I, I think, I think that, that I, um, yeah, that I can work with my hands, and and because like I said earlier, I could buy these things for people. Could buy a baby sweater, but I much prefer to make it and and give it. Hmm. Um, it's a much more personal connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: So, but I mean, I think there are other gifts too that just it, it's something. I love like something you can just always have with you. It's, um, it's um, as I said, it's portable. I love the feel of the yarn, the look of the mm. yarn. Um, so it touches a lot of senses, I think.
0: Mm. Um,
1: yeah. I think I did teach one woman once who was legally blind mm. and luckily she had knit years in the past. So she was able, it came back because of muscle memory, but, mm. um, but I just finished reading a book about a, a writer who, um, lost vision in one eye and he may lose vision in his other eye too. And I thought, wow, I wouldn't want, I mean, could I knit if I couldn't see? <laughs> and like, mm. I guess, you know, by feel you could still, but it would be much harder And it's kind of just, it's like part of my day now. So I just, um, I I like having that as a regular part of my day. It would be, it's hard to imagine not, not doing it.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like it's a quite a good, for you, like a a way of coping with just sitting.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: I that's something I definitely struggle with as well but yeah. if I was just sitting to watch tv or like you said chatting with friends on zoom or being on a bus or in a waiting room I would struggle with all of those situations I think without my knitting
1: <laughs> no it's true and we sit especially during the pandemic we I, I just found we sit so much I mean the other thing I'll do is cook because mm. if I've been sitting so long I'm like oh my gosh I have to at least cooking you're standing and moving and, you know doing yeah. that, um,
0: and I guess that's also a task that involves some kind of repetitive motions with your hands, right? um, but less portable, I suppose, to take to a doctor's waiting room, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it sounds like you know you've given the world an amazing gift, loads of people have learnt. I'm sure hundreds of people through your yeah, project. I think, well, I, I, I don't I, know if you have an estimation of how many people, yeah, you've I think to last time. I think it's
1: around 6,000 people over the 12, well, 10, 11, 12 years. Um, Yeah. You know, the pandemic, there's a silver lining to it for us because we were, um, you know, we stopped being in person and we were Mm. local DC area, but because of the pandemic, we were able to offer Learn to Knit classes virtually. And um, so we reached people all over the country. Mm -hmm. and and then some knitting groups so that's that that's been a very nice thing to be able Mm -hmm. um, to do that and we'll continue you know we'll continue with that we are starting slowly going back to in-person sites yeah so that's that that's been a good thing
0: well it's been amazing hearing your story thank you thank you so
1: much yeah for having me and
0: and do you want to just remind people how they can find out more about project knit well
1: Yes, you can go to our website at www.projectknitwell.org. And mm-hmm. our, our email is info at knitwell.org. Again, thank you so much, Mia, for having, for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome. Thank, thank you for, for joining me. me. Thank you so much for listening to the Why I Knit podcast. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe as it helps other people to learn more about the therapeutic benefits of knitting. If you'd like to find out more about my work, you can visit my website at therapeuticknitting.org. You can also follow me on Instagram at knittingistherapeutic. Thank you.